You're listening to the Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered Podcast, a place for inspiration, empowerment, and personal development. Showcasing badass women from all over the world, giving tips on personal development, mindset, and healing. I'm your host, Olivia, transformational success coach for spiritual female entrepreneurs. Now let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome to season six. And this season, I am so flipping excited. I have a phenomenal guest. And this one today is, we're, we're going in so, so deep. She's a specialist. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just a regular old regular person. And I've got, I've got a specialist for you today that is going to do so much more for children. Um, and for the parents than I could ever even imagine. So it's just such a pleasure to have her. Her name is Jen Lumenlin. She holds her MS in psychology, focusing on child development, and an MED, and hosts the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. And in this podcast, she actually does 20 to 40 hours of research prior to recording for each podcast. And it's a reference guide for parents of children aged between toddler and elementary years based on scientific research and principles of respectful parenting. In each episode, she examines a topic related to parenting and child development from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their children. She lives in California with her husband and daughter. She's originally from Berkeley, England, and it's just such a pleasure to have her today. Thanks so much, Olivia. It's great to be here. (laughs) Good, good. So I just want to, how did you start doing this? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting story. Firstly, I just want to say to your audience, if anyone's listening and they're thinking, "Oh, I don't have kids," maybe this episode isn't for me. You might want to stick around because the kinds of things we're going to talk about are things that are probably showing up in your life today, even if you don't have children. Um, and and I thought the same was true for me. <laughs> the same was true for me. I was I was muddling along in life, doing just fine. Never thought I wanted to have kids. Never even liked children. Um, and eventually decided I didn't want to be responsible for the biggest disappointment in my husband's life. And so we had a baby and I realized there was a massive gap between the kind of information that I wanted about raising children and the kind that, you know, the typical platforms send to you where it's just this clickbait headline of something like five, five ways to tell your child has a developmental delay. And all they're trying to get you through is to do is click through so they can get the advertising revenue from you. Um, and so I decided to, to really do the research to understand, well, is this thing they're talking about actually relevant to us parents? Does it, uh, is, is it confirming 10 years? Years of previous research, or does it go against what 10 years of previous research has told us? So um, I wanted that resource. I couldn't find it. So I created it myself. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful because I, I do plan on having a child one day and uh, I, this is going to be very helpful. And honestly, I know we're going to talk about, you know, triggers for the most part, and those triggers show up on so many different aspects. And now when you talk about triggered, like, what does that mean and, and why does it happen? The feeling of being triggered, just to give the context to the listener. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing to understand is that uh, there's a difference between feeling triggered and feeling flooded. And the actual feeling that's happening in you can be can feel very similar, but the the causes of it can be quite different. So when we're talking about feeling triggered, we're talking about something that's related to a trauma that you've experienced in childhood. And that may be what psychologists call big T trauma. So, you know, really big stuff like a parent dying or being murdered or having having a parent who was addicted to drugs or alcohol. Um, then there's the sort of what psychologists call little t trauma, which is things like divorce and bullying and things that happen uh, more, more typically in families, uh, which are, are still traumatic to go through. And uh, so when we are, uh, we're, when we're experiencing really big feelings to, in response to something that's happening in our life, maybe we're going through a situation and all of a sudden um, some, something happens that reminds us of a trauma that we've experienced, even if we're not consciously aware of it, then we call that being triggered. If that wasn't related to a particular trauma, then we call it being flooded. And, uh, and, and so the actual sensation of it can feel very similar. It's just that it wasn't necessarily linked to trauma. And so the way this typically shows up in our lives is we just overreact to something. <laughs> Maybe our partner says something to us and immediately there's no space between the thing that they say and us just feeling like we're about to blow our lid. Um, or maybe it's our mother-in-law <laughs> or our mother or our child. And, uh, and so we're having this out response that's massively out of proportion with whatever this person did because it's touching something in us that very often experience, that, uh, was related to a trauma that we've experienced. Thank you for the clarification. And um, yeah, you know, when you mentioned the like spouse, the mother-in-law, even with my dogs, I find it like I and, and overreacting. I, I this thought came up this morning actually, mm -hmm. and you know because we have the fight, flight, or freeze response. Yep. And I always, I always thought like in in the, my dream world, I'm totally a fighter in my dream world. <laughs> but what the reality is <laughs> is that when when another like dog that is unleashed approaches mm. me and my dogs mm -hmm. on a trail where there's a cliff I I freeze I freak yeah. out I'm like oh my god like I'm so scared I'm I'm triggered I feel I felt like and this happened uh, over a year ago and I apologize to the lady for freaking out but mm. like after the fact but it made me realize like oh, wow, my need for control is real, mm -hmm. you know, like, and, and I've been realizing this in so many other areas of life too, but that just being a, a thing that literally, and that, that reminded me you talking yeah. about. Really yeah. Yeah. So your listeners may not be familiar with those terms. So maybe you should walk through what those are. So when you're talking about fight, you're immediately going into a, a big reaction. Maybe you're yelling, maybe you're actually spanking a child or you know, there, there's, there's a very external expression of your big feelings. Uh, when we're talking about flight, we're removing ourselves from that situation. We are leaving the room. We are, if we can't mentally, if we can't physically leave the room, we're mentally leaving the room. We're just checking out. Um, and then there's the freeze, which is 
where you, you just can't do anything. You can't make any decision. You're, you're just stuck there. And some people describe it as like having a foot on the accelerator and a foot on the brake at the same time. And the wheels are turning at thousand miles an hour, but nobody's moving. And then there's actually a fourth uh, reaction now that we see in people. It's been more recently identified called fawn. And we most often see that among people who've experienced abuse. And what we see is that a person who was experiencing abuse probably tried to do anything they could to get that, that abuse to stop. And that involved placating the person and, and trying to make them feel like everything was okay. And so now that shows up in their family relationships where their child is yelling, screaming, having a tantrum, whatever. And the parent is, okay, okay, anything you need, I'll make it stop, you know, just, just to make whatever it is that's upsetting stop. So that, that's the fourth reaction that, uh, that we now know about that we didn't know about until more recently. So what are we supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> that, that's definitely a, a, a very big topic. And so I think what we what we see when we're starting to think about okay, well, I'm, I'm seeing this and I'm seeing that this is not helping, right? It, it's not helping my child uh, because it's, it's making them afraid. Um, it's not helping my relationship with my partner, with my parent. The thing is we, we developed this reaction because it, it uh, protected us in some way. When, whenever we were going through what this thing was that was difficult at the time, we were not able to cope with it. Maybe, maybe we weren't allowed to fight back. Maybe we were not even allowed to leave the room. And the only option was to stay and to, to watch or listen to whatever it was this scary person was doing. And so we developed this as a coping mechanism and it served us well then, but it's not serving us in our life anymore. And so what we're trying to move towards doing is instead of reacting in that split second where it seems like there's no space whatsoever, we're starting out by creating space because then once you have space, you can choose what your response is going to be. And so that creating space is really, it's sort of where all the magic happens. And so we can, we can talk through some of the ways to start creating space if you'd like to do that. Yes. And I will, I'm just going to make a side note because okay. creating space I find to, is a harder thing to do <laughs> with, with the advent of social media and how our yeah. attention spans have decreased drastically. Yeah. Um, and just a heightened level of tense in our system tenseness in our society all over the world. Um, so yes, definitely. You, you're so detailed. I love it, Jen. Jen, you just, I I love it. You, (laughs) um, definitely give me some insights on how to make that space. Yeah. And and you're absolutely right. Everything about the way we live in our culture today prioritizes fast reactions and getting that dopamine hit and, and, uh, and not pausing and not creating space. So yeah, we're working against, not only the the stuff that we learned that protected us, but also the way our entire culture functions. And so a a big part of creating space is, is really focusing on that moment after this person says or does something that typically makes you snap, is to focus on trying to pause between whatever it is they're doing and your, your reaction. And in the beginning, it's, it's going to seem like there's no space there whatsoever. And and there's no way there's going to be a space. And I've, um, I've heard from, from parents that they, they almost have this out of body experience where they're looking down at themselves and they're like, I know in 10 minutes, I'm going to be apologizing for doing this (laughs) and I shouldn't be doing it, but I cannot stop myself. (laughs) But if you keep working on it and you keep in those moments, 
thinking, okay, breathe, or I'm going to put my hand on my heart and, and feel what's going on with my heart. And a big, a, a really cool practice to go along with that is, is uh, as you're getting ready to go to bed, you know, you're lying in bed, you're relaxed and your heart is beating normally at a slow pace, just putting your hand on your heart and feeling what it's like to feel calm, to not feel stressed out. And then when you get to a stressful moment, hand on your heart, and it just kind of reminds your body, oh yeah, I'm here and I'm safe. Um, so there's a couple of practices. Another is um, a lot of parents I work with like to keep a hair tie on one wrist and that uh, when their child does something or another person does something that they would normally react to, they tra transition the hair tie off that wrist and onto the other wrist. And in that moment, you know, it takes a few seconds to do that. That gives you a pause to breathe. <laughs> And so we're, what we're going through is, is this sort of predictable for, for a lot of people set of stages where we're looking back, we're thinking, I should have done that differently. And then we're thinking in the moment, okay, I see I'm, I should be doing something differently and I'm still not able to do it. I'm still going to say this thing that I know is not going to be helpful. And then the next phase is we got a second of pause and it's not really long enough to do anything with, but we can look back and we like, it was there <laughs> and I saw it. And then we keep focusing on it and it gets longer and longer and longer until it is enough time to breathe. And then when we can breathe, we can re-regulate ourselves. And then we can say something to our partner or our child like, I am so frustrated right now. <laughs> so we're not, we're not stuffing everything down. We're not then turning to our child and saying, I'm fine. Everything's, everything's great. <laughs> because then our child learns, you know, I, I can see everything's not fine. Why are you telling me everything's fine? I can't trust what I, what I see to be true. Cause I want to trust what you're saying. Um, so that, that sets up a whole dynamic that we don't want to have. So we're acknowledging how we feel. I feel frustrated right now. And also you know, I'm, I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> I'm telling you how I feel without yelling at you. And from there, I want to hear how you feel about the situation that's, that's difficult for both of us right now. And then how are we going to go about finding a resolution that maybe actually meets both of our needs? I, I love that. And it's definitely, those are definitely things that I'm going to start implementing in my own life, um, with my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk some more about that? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I, you know, I love being on the hot seat. I don't mind, um, especially with the specialist. And I love the fact that you also mentioned, you know, you allow your children to know that you're not feel like you're not happy. Oh, yeah. And so many people in the past, from what I've heard, it's they either didn't argue in front of their kids, like so their kids never learned how to argue. They didn't know what it was like to be adults. Like we're, you're raising a little, a person to go out into this world. So they need to know how to combat, not be like sheltered. My mother sheltered me so much in it, in the aspect of violence. She did not, she always, and I, and I say it now and I see it come up because my husband, he'll watch violent stuff. And I literally, I can't, I cover my face. I, I can't, I'm so squeamish and I'm naturally like that. But my mom really, she was a Buddhist when I was born and she really ingrained the whole see no evil, do no evil, speak no evil into me. And so she would let me see like sexual things because she would let me see love, but she wouldn't let me see violence. So now that I'm older, yes, I know it's a real thing. Yeah, And, and if it happened in real life, I could, I, I've dealt with violent situations in real life, but seeing it on screen, I'm so, oh my God. I mean, in our culture is so desensitized to the things, yeah. but me, I'm, <laughs> I'm 
it's just a, a thing that I've noticed um, over the time. But I guess an example of me being triggered with my husband. Huh. I, I mean, it doesn't have to be from this morning if nothing's happened today, but. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, anytime he tries to tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't get like super like but my my fuse is just short mm-hmm. shorter with him because it's yeah. just like dude he was okay I was editing um a podcast and he was telling me how to edit it on a different software and how I should do it and he was talking about smart keys and I don't use smart keys. I'm sorry for those people that think I'm just a crazy, horrible person with computers, but I just don't like I click. And I mean, I use smart keys with certain programs, but like not my everyday, like this is not what I do. Mm-hmm. And so I would have to learn a completely different concept. I was trying to explain that to him. And, but we just do things differently, but it was, it was so annoying because it's like, dude, you don't, you don't know. You do not know. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so how, how are you feeling in, in that moment when he's trying to explain something to you that you know is not going to work for you? Um, annoyed, mm-hmm. annoyed. I'm annoyed. Yeah. Frustrated. Yeah. Like just more so like, dude, that and controlled. Mm-hmm. I have a control thing. I'm, and I'm realizing that more this year because I'm, one of my goals is just surrendering to God. And that's mm-hmm. been so hard for me. So yeah, I'm hence the control. So yeah, I, I actually have a theory about control. I am not sure that control is really a need. I think that control is something that we use to cover up things that are underneath that we're afraid of. Yeah. Like, so not, not being stable, not, yes, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, financial absolutely. stability is huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Emotional stability. Yeah. The idea of like not being in, you know, safe, not being safe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That, and, and so it's not necessarily the control that you need. The control is the thing that you're in, in Buddhist terminology, you're grasping at <laughs> to try to feel safe. Because uh, and our, our culture rewards that, right? Um, particularly financially. If, if you can amass enough money, then you can have control over a lot of aspects of your life. And it can seem as though you're getting your needs met when actually you're not necessarily getting your needs met. So yeah, I, I think con- control is a really big thing. And particularly for parents, it can feel as though we need to be in control. And particularly we need to look as though we're in control of our child's behavior <laughs> because everybody's judging us <laughs> on our child's behavior. And so if we want to be judged favorably, then our child had better learn to say the appropriate things at the appropriate times and do things in the appropriate way. And that requires us to control them when actually there's a whole lot of fear under there about what that judgment might be like. So, um, okay. So, so in that moment with your, with your husband, you're feeling annoyed, a little bit frustrated, um, like, like you have a need for control, but maybe under let's, let's try and poke around and see what's underneath that need for control. Um, I'm wondering if it's, uh, you know, I, I want my husband to respect the fact that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there something like that? Or are there other elements to this, do you think? Yeah, I think that's a thing because mm-hmm. my, okay, for instance, because I know a lot of these traumas and things like that come from childhood trauma. Yeah. And my father was very smart. He got into Columbia University for, uh, and only had to pay $50 to go. 
Right. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> we screwed That's that up. I should, been, I, I should have been uh, born rich, but uh, just to give you a little background, my father was very, very intelligent. My mother also was too, but I had like learning issues when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I sucked at reading. Um, I, I'm still working on being a better speller, stuff like that. Um, so it's, um, when, when they poke holes at the things that I do, Mm -hmm. it, it does tend to be like, I have to validate myself more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's the trauma, right? The, your, your parents probably, I mean, that by the way, you're describing them were great parents (laughs) that, that had your absolute best interests at heart. And yet they, the way that they tried to help you to be successful, which in our culture requires knowing how to read and write and uh, being able to do well on tests, which probably you struggled with, um, the, they wanted you to be successful. And so they tried to get you to do more of those things that mean success in our culture, which was difficult for you because those were not naturally things that you were good at. And so there, there was sort of a, a, a lack of respect there for the things that you were good at, right? It was like, we value this stuff. You're, you're good at this stuff, right? But, but that's, that's not really stuff that's going to help you get ahead in life. You need to be good. At, am, am, I, am I poking at the right like stuff? My, my sister and brother are very, very like book smart, intelligent. Yeah. I, mean, I, went to, I went to college. I went to Florida State. Like I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not, but it's just like my dad even when I was younger, he's like, yeah, Olivia's different. Yeah. <laughs> why aren't you more like them? Right. Why, why aren't you more like your, your siblings? Yeah. 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 So, and we grew up relatively sick. like poor because, um, my father was addicted to drugs mm-hmm. and my parents got divorced and, um, yeah, it, I, we went through a lot, but we were always educated. Like we were always in good school yeah. districts. So it's, it's a really interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah. Um, so you got yeah. big T trauma there. You got little T trauma there. <laughs> and you've got just the trauma of being socialized into a world that doesn't value the kinds of skills that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when you're hearing that lack of respect from your husband, which he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean to indicate, I don't respect you. He's trying to help you. But to you, that popes are exactly that thing, that condition that your parents uh, created, um, which is, I, I'm not respected for who I am. I need to be, I need to pretend to be someone different. I need to be successful in this other way that is not, does not come naturally to me to get respect. Right. And that, that's where this comes from. And then mm-hmm. imagine you have children and your child struggles to read and write. And all of this stuff just comes out, right? <laughs> and you're you're like, they're gonna struggle in the same ways that I've struggled and I don't want them to struggle in that way and it's so hard. And now you're dealing with another level. <laughs> so you can imagine for parents how, how additionally challenging these kinds of situations can be. Yeah, yeah. And like, just trying to, I don't believe like you can ever fix yourself because you're not broken, but mm-hmm. really yeah. just, um, doing all of this work yeah is is so necessary yeah and especially you know you you're offering you know tame your triggers um and it's a 10-week program 
Mm-hmm. Do you want to go a little more into that? Because I mean, I'm, I see the benefits already as a person that doesn't even have children. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. But firstly, I'd actually love to return to like what you're going to do with your husband next time. Oh yeah. Um, sorry. Ne- next, next time he uh, is feeling as though he wants to offer something to, to, to help you. I think there's a couple of different ways we can approach this. Firstly, there's the things that you can do in yourself, right? There's uh, when you hear him start to offer something that sounds like advice (laughs) or, or maybe even sounds like criticism, you can try to pause. You can try to take that breath. You can switch the hair tie. You can do whatever it is that you need to do to re-regulate yourself and maybe even remind yourself he's not trying to be disrespectful, right? And so you're creating that pause. Maybe you even need to walk away for a few minutes. And come back again and say, that's really hard for me to hear because it reminds me of, of some of the interactions I had with my parents when I was younger. And I know, I know that you don't mean it in that way. And I'm, I'm struggling a little bit right now and I'm going to re-regulate and then maybe we can talk about it. <laughs> so, so there's, there's what you can do yourself in these difficult moments. And then there's also, he may, he probably, unless you've talked about with this, this with him already, he might see you explode, but he doesn't have any idea really why you're exploding, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to him this seems like an, a massive overreaction to to what was supposed to be helpful. Like why why he's why aren't you perceiving it as helpful? He's showing you something to save you time, um, and so you can make a request of him. You could say um, to him something like, I, "I see that you have a lot of ideas to help me work more efficiently. I wonder if before you uh, before you tell me them, would you be willing to ask me and say?" I've seen ways that you might be able to do this more efficiently or faster. Would you like to hear them? Right. And then you get to be the person who says, yes, I actually, this has been driving me nuts and I would really like to hear a way of this faster. Or you could say, no, I've got my system and it works really well for me. Thank you so much. Right. And then you get out of that dynamic where he's offering you the advice that is actually not helpful to you. Um, and you don't even get into that situation where you feel triggered. So you could make that request of him and maybe he's willing to do it. Maybe he's not, maybe he forgets some of the time and you still have to do the re-regulation practices, but uh, maybe more of the time he remembers, oh yeah, I'm going to ask first, honey, would you like me to offer you a suggestion on something that I've read or seen or done that would help you? And then you get to be the one who says yes or no. How, how do you think that might go over with him? And how do you think it would help you if you think it would? He's so understanding. My, I, I have a very, I'm very blessed to have the husband that I do. We've been married for six years mm. and we, we do have a pretty open conversation, you know, like conversations and just being able to speak to as many specialists as I have spoken to through this podcast for one and just being the way that I am and the personal development I dive into, um, I actually implement the things that I learn um, and it's done wonders for my marriage. So I'm definitely going to just say that to him. And, you know, he, he's really, he, he goes with the flow. He's super like chill and he doesn't, he doesn't want to make me mad, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course he doesn't. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing when we see somebody else struggling uh, or having a hard time, we often try to support them and meet their need in the way that we would like to be supported. Right. He, he probably, he's probably thinking if you, Olivia saw a way that I could be do something, doing something more efficiently, I'd want to know, you should tell me. And so he naturally thinks you want the same. <laughs> and that goes for whatever way it is that we give and receive love. Maybe we're a gift giver. Maybe we're a, you know, I love you were, maybe we're a, a fit super physical person and we assume that other people want to be held in that same way when actually we need to learn what is it that makes the other person truly feel held and when we can do that 
then that, that resonates for them. It clicks for them and they feel that love in a way that they don't when we just try and support them in the way that we like to be supported. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so the, the taming your triggers workshop is, is 10 weeks long. And, um, I, I used to structure it where we would start by going into what are the causes of your triggers? And then we would learn about the new tools. And to me, that seems super logical because it's like, you need to know where stuff is coming from and then you can learn how to deal with it. And I ended up restructuring it because parents didn't actually want to spend five weeks bogged down in all the misery (laughs) before they learn the tools and they needed more time to practice the tools. So now we alternate every other week. We start out with learning, where does this stuff come from? And then we move into one set of new tools that you get to practice. And then a bit more on where does this stuff come from? Uh, You know, intergenerational trauma, um, trauma that you've experienced in your own family, um, the trauma of unmet needs of not having had your needs met as a child or even now um your relationship with your mother which tends to be (laughs) a big one for a lot of people and uh, so so where are all the different places this comes from in every other week and then how can we understand uh, other people's feelings and truly empathize with them how can we understand each other's needs um like your your need for respect here that we uncovered um it's not actually a need for control it's a need for respect underneath here for for how you learn and how you want to do this activity that you're doing. Um, When we can understand the other person's need as well, most of the time we can find a way forward that meets both of our needs. And and the other person will then be willing to work with us. Even our child who may have been resisting us every step of the way up to this point now wants to work with us because they see, oh, my parent is trying to meet my needs. And so now I'm more invested in helping my parent trying to meet their needs too. And then we find we're not being triggered all the time because we're in a relationship where we can identify each other's needs and find ways to meet those without the the big blowups that used to happen all the time. How does this all like work in your life? Like how has this turned? And I mean, I've looked at some of the reviews, guys, you got to check out the link below, because like, you'll see so many reviews from like high level clients that she has. She's had like therapist clients, you know, and straight up call her a genius. And I mean, it's just, it's, (laughs) it's just one of those things that, um, and I know it's hard when you are of this mind to do it in your own life as well. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, um, and just to, to clarify on that, I really don't believe I'm a genius. I believe what I'm good at is, uh, is looking at a big amount of information and pulling out the pieces that people really need to know and, uh, and, and presenting it to them in a way that they can digest and understand. And that seems to really resonate with people. So, um, so in terms of how it works in my own life and, and it, the, the subtext for that is, are you perfect, Jen? <laughs> And the answer is no, um, because nobody's perfect. Um, What I have found is that there are a number of ways that people tend to to shift their understanding on this. Some, Some parents, some people can really make a shift through a cognitive understanding, through just knowing that something is true. And that actually happened for me uh, when I was interviewing an expert on intergenerational trauma. It was through that, like this happened to me in the interview where we're talking about how my father, when I was a teenager, would just lecture me for what seemed like hours on end for various, there were a lot of flaws that I had apparently in those years. And I was not allowed to interrupt. And uh, that just, it was out of the realm of possibility. And so when my husband interrupts me, 
you know, it's, <laughs> it's all over in an instant. And, and I, yeah, I would yell at him. And one day we're all in the car and my daughter, who was, she was probably three ish at the time. Uh, I spoke over her by accident. She hadn't finished speaking yet. And I thought she had, and she said, don't interrupt me. <laughs> and my husband looked at me and he said, she is you. <laughs> and it was through understanding where that had come from that all of a sudden that wasn't an issue for me anymore. Um, it's not like it completely went away. I still get a little bit irritated, but I'm able to say, I was just about to explain that if you would have let me finish rather than having this, you know, big yelling response. So for some parents that shift happens and that did for me in that particular uh, instance. For other parents, it's more of what I call a non-cognitive shift. So it's not something that actually happens in your brain. It's something that happens in your body. Um, and on the information page for the course, there's actually a, um, a, a long written piece from a parent who has allowed me to refer to her story if I use her initial N. And uh, she grew up with an alcoholic mother and uh, they had been to therapy. They've been to therapy together. She was always angry at her mother because her mother couldn't remember what and remembered because she was drunk all the time. And through being in the workshop and seeing hundreds of other parents introducing themselves and their triggered feelings and how much they were struggling, this, this parent was able to see her own parent in that way as you know, a 20 something mom with a whole bunch of unprocessed trauma and it, for the first time feel empathy that she'd never felt before. And from there, uh, she described it as it, it was, I knew I had to forgive, but it couldn't just be in my head. I had to be forgiveness. And she said, for the first time, this actually happened uh, here in this program. And so I see a lot of parents make that non-cognitive shift where they truly take on for the first time this new role. So they're not just reciting a script anymore. It's like, oh, yes, I'm I'm not angry. And now the next thing I'm supposed to say is, uh, yes, what are your feelings? <laughs> but uh, that we, it's just how we are in relationships. And I think. I've been lucky that I have been able to make some of those shifts too, so that I'm not reciting scripts anymore. And it's just part of who we are um, as a family, but that doesn't mean I don't still explode. You know, it, there was an instance last week where we were, I, I was making my, my daughter's favorite meal. We're having sushi for dinner. I'd just come off a whole bunch of calls. She was watching uh, TV. I, I announced dinner time and she turns it off and immediately comes in the kitchen and announces I'm ready. <laughs> and I'm like, I've had a heck of a day and I'm trying to get everything ready as fast as I can. And the only thing you're concerned about is eating <laughs> your food right now. And yeah, I, I spoke to her firmly. I, I'm, I don't yell. I'm not a yeller, but I spoke to her very firmly and said, for real, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not offering to set the table or to do anything to help. You're just announcing you're ready. Um, and she cried. And, and then we were able to come back around and repair. And I apologized to her and said that I was sorry for speaking to her firmly. And, um, and, and we repaired our relationship because she knows that, um, that when I say I'm sorry, that I mean it and that I will try not to do it again. So um, I think parents really struggle and think, oh, I, I shouldn't apologize. I shouldn't admit weakness. I shouldn't show that I've done something wrong when actually that's enormously impactful for children to hear that. Like my parent did something wrong. They apologized. Oh, when I do something wrong, I can apologize. We'll repair our relationship and it'll be okay. And in her mind, she probably, while this is going on, because you, you, you got it together. And that's, you know, a lot of people, I think that's a benefit of people who, whose parents don't have it together. We got some tough skin. <laughs> so, 
we got grandparents that never let us uh they didn't let us drink our our drink until after we finished our food yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so it's like but but still seeing that that like you know you can't apologize regardless of you know how sternly you spoke or didn't her feelings were hurt and she probably felt like she was a bad daughter because for for a few moments possibly yeah like that she was like super selfish like because I feel I, I know that you're probably raising a child with a lot of empathy and you know care to care about other people and be understanding. So like when you're like really like you probably just like called her out and she was just like, oh, I'm a horrible person on the inside. Like that's just what she was thinking. That's yeah. just my thought from that experience. Why yeah, no. that's why she freaked out. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And and so what happens when we don't address that afterwards, right? When we we bury it under the rug, that that's the impression that our child is left with is that this was their fault that they were a bad person. And and maybe, you know, it, it could have been more helpful to materialize at the kitchen and say, what can I do to help? <laughs> right that that would have been a more helpful thing to do but most of what happened was on me that I should have maybe not taken on as many interviews that day or I should have allowed more of a buffer or I should have planned something else for dinner that day or um, maybe use my own skills of pausing right and and creating that space between what she said and my and my response so that I could have then uh, had it be a response that's aligned with my values. Um, and in that moment, my, I, what we call our window of tolerance was so narrow that I wasn't able to do that because I was hungry, tired, stressed out. Um, so I could have created the conditions to keep my window of tolerance wider. So I would have been able to respond more effectively and all of that's on me. So, um, so I think it's, it's really, um, a lot of parents think, well, if my child would just stop doing these things that drive me up the wall, then I wouldn't need to overreact. Um, if my spouse, whoever it is, would just stop saying those things, then I wouldn't need to overreact. But as we saw with your example and that the example for me, so much of this is about what's happened in us. And so much of what we can do about it is also within us, which is a huge opportunity because it's so much easier to, to do things yourself than it is to try and change somebody else. <laughs> Jen, I really appreciate your authenticity and just, you know, sharing so many parts of you and you know just being like yeah no I'm not perfect and I mean nobody is and I think that makes you so much more relatable as well you know (laughs) no seriously like especially for the people that you're helping because it's like yeah Mm -hmm. I I teach this I do this and I'm but you also understand when it's super super stressful yeah you can say well what will I do next time what will I do better and you're actively working on being the best version of yourself every day and sometimes you fall short on on what your standard is but that's okay we're human we're not machines we are (laughs) yeah and and I, I a big part of what happens for parents I think particularly is the sort of guilt and shame cycle the well everybody else has got this figured out and I'm the only terrible parent I'm the angry parent it's all my fault um and and I, I am isolated by this, right? Guilt and shame isolate us from other people. And so we sort of self-flagellate and we, we, we beat ourselves up and say, well, I'm just going to do better next time. I'm just going to, just going to try and do better. When actually, if instead of beating ourselves up, when these hard things happen is to say, to, to respond from a place of self-compassion, you know, with, with the kind of day I've had, it's no wonder <laughs> that I had a difficult evening. Um, other parents struggle with this too. I'm not the only one who struggles. So connecting us to other people who are out in the world who just through the experience of being human struggle as well, like we do. And, and that self-compassion, I think, allows us to say, I'm doing the best I can right now. 
And that doesn't mean I can't do things differently. I can still learn new tools and I can still focus on creating that space for next time. But I don't need to beat myself up for doing it wrong this time. I can apologize to the person. I can repair that relationship and move on. And that in itself is enormously freeing. Like I'm not carrying this weight of this terrible thing I did to my child a, a week ago that I think might scar her. You know, we've, we've, we've both integrated this. We've both uh, responded from a place of, of self-compassion for ourselves and compassion for each other and and can move on in our relationship so it's it's really freeing to come at it from that perspective absolutely and you know the benefits of doing your program for instance sooner rather than later (laughs) um no I'm just I'm just saying like there's I mean COVID's going on and regardless of how you feel about you know vaccination or not you got to either the school systems want your kids in or out the house and most likely it's in the house so (laughs) um you're if if you're not dealing with if you're not handling if you're you're getting more and more tense it's, it's going to be time to go ahead and check those triggers that you got yeah yeah and and that's I, I think that's a, a super important point is that uh, if you if you keep doing the same things you've been doing, even if it seemed like, okay, during COVID at the beginning, it was like, we're just going to muscle through, right? We're just going to keep our heads down. We're going to keep separate from other people and, and we're just going to get through it. And, and Zoom school sucked <laughs> and having kids around while we're trying to work from home sucked. And we just kind of got it done. And then when some people started getting kids vaccinated, I think there was a, a, a sense of a light at the end of the tunnel. And then all of a sudden there's no light again, that the, the, there is no end of the tunnel. We're going to be doing this for a long time. And so are we going to be able to use the same tools that we use to muscle through, which I mean, frankly, we're stressed. A lot of parents are stressed out of their minds. They're operating at this high baseline level of stress. And so as soon as their child does something remotely that looks like pushing back resistance, their, their, their parent is just triggered immediately. And so if we, if we can't even see the end of the tunnel, we have no idea we're going to, when we're going to be out of this. If we keep operating at this high baseline level of stress, we're going to keep responding to our child's behavior. And, and as, soon as, as soon as they push us, we're going to be whoop, outside that window of tolerance and, and overreacting and not responding from a place that's aligned with our values. Um, and so if we want to be able to regulate ourselves so that we can show up for our children in a way that's aligned with our values, we need to do something differently. And that work comes from ourselves and and is not about changing our child's behavior. Absolutely. And really learning how to manage them. I mean, I just, from the standpoint of substance abuse, you know, 19.7 million people in the United States battled with substance abuse issues in 2017. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that we know about. Since then, that number, since COVID, that number has raised by 30%. I don't want to see another TikTok with a parent throwing out a whole recycling bin of wine. I don't, I don't like that. Like it is almost, it's something that's promoted so much in our society to yes. just, oh, well, just drink it away. Y'all, yeah. do these people not realize that they are like teaching their children how like how to cope with this in this way is it really healthy how do you, do you enjoy the COVID weight that you gained like seriously like these are real side effects of after the fact of what happened on our like in 2020 and 2021 yeah 
Yeah. And, and even, even before COVID baseline rates of depression in women, where I think were around 20%, like prescriptions for, for depression medication and probably far more cases where people are just kind of muddling through and, and haven't been diagnosed because they don't have access to healthcare or for other reasons. Um, and, and so uh, I, I think the, the challenge here is that we see this as an individual person's problem and it's their thing to fix when actually the way our society operates makes it very difficult for a lot of people to function. Um, and we need to be working at this on different levels. Uh, we need to be working at it from the level of, okay, what do I need to be regulated and be functional in society? But we also need to look at it from, a, from the societal perspective and say, if 20 plus percent of people are on antidepressants and more of those, more, even more than that on top or self-medicating with alcohol and drugs and other things there's something about our society the way it works that is not working for a lot of people <laughs> and how about we take a look at that and and take some steps to address that and provide more support that people actually need as well i i mean i'm finding it more and more with the people i talk to about just you know well so and so did this to me i'm like okay we gotta realize that we can only control how we react to things and also the majority of the people that you're going to encounter, if you're out in the public, somebody under the influence at some point, you like, I feel like it's almost like every one in five people is under the influence of something. And that's not something that's talked about as often, but I'm, I'm just, I'm being, you're in California and I don't know what it's like there, but here in Illinois, um, I can't leave my house regardless of what time it is and not smell marijuana because it's legalized, you know? And they're, they're, regardless of medical or not, people are medicating at all times. I mean, I go to the gym at 5.30 in the morning. I smell some weed, you know? I'm, I'm just being honest with you. This was the other day. And I'm just like, well, that's just the sign to say, regardless of how you feel about it, people are medicating and they're not even in their, their proper states. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I think the, the, the issue around, um, those kinds of things is that there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, interrelated issues and, and I don't necessarily want to say a blanket pronouncement on whether people should or shouldn't, shouldn't be doing those things. But I, I do think that if people are, um, are not happy in some way with the way that they're living their lives, with the way they're able to show up in their lives and that they are self-medicating as a way of being able to navigate those situations differently. Um, and, and they don't like it, right. They don't, they don't enjoy the way that they feel when they're self-medicated or they don't enjoy the thing they're trying to escape from, then, uh, then that's something that potentially needs to be addressed and um and and that that waiting for outside circumstances to change is something that could take a potentially long time and we all need to be working on those things together right we all need to be uh voting with our feet and calling our representatives to advocate for policies that benefit uh health care and mental health care and support for parents and and doing all that stuff as well um as we are uh taking responsibility for the pieces of it that are within our purview that are about how we show up in the world and how we want to show up in the world absolutely Absolutely. Well, Jen, I, I'm so happy to have uh, had you on. You were extremely informative and, you know, the link to find out more about Team Your Triggers is in the show notes below, but is there anything else that you would like to add before we go? 
Um, I think for, for parents who are thinking about whether this might be right for them, you know, it, it's a 10-week workshop and uh, there's no requirement to be anywhere at a certain time. So you can fit it into whatever your schedule is. Uh, you get access to a supportive community of parents. And, and when I talk about the non-cognitive shift, that's where that stuff happens. That's where uh, people will ask questions that you didn't even know you had. And then 20 people jump in with, with responses. And, and so it helps you in ways that you don't even know how to articulate yet. Um, we can pair you up with another person that you'll, if you want to, be in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with to help keep you on track so that when things get scary and you think, oh, a relationship with my mother, I don't feel like doing that this week. And then you fall behind and then you just kind of say, oh, well, it probably wouldn't have worked anyway. And I don't have time for it. And I'm just going to let it go. So that person can say, hey, hey, did you do the homework this week? And just kind of gently hold you accountable and bring you along and, and you'll do the same for them. So we have a whole bunch of support mechanisms in place so that you actually get the benefits that you sign up for <laughs> and by the end of the workshop I mean the parents the parents who who do uh, participate who show up in the community who take the time and practice things differently report just making absolutely profound shifts um, and so uh, in in the way that they feel in their day-to-day -day life and also the way they're able to interact with their children and and live with their children in a way that's aligned with their values so um, so I know that you're going to put a link below the episode for folks who want to find out more about that. Yeah, thank you so much. This is so beautiful. You know, we are, it's, this is really all about empowering the world that we have and making it a better place. Um, there, while there's a lot of bad out there, there's a lot of good. And this, this program itself is very affordable, um, in the grand scheme of things too. It's cheaper than going to the therapist three times. Um, it really is. <laughs> you know, it's, it's cheaper than paying for therapy later on in life when your child really doesn't wanna have a relationship with you anymore. Yeah. And you you gotta think back on, you know, it, it might just be the day to day. Um, yeah. What you just right said now. is really profound, actually, um, that that what we're doing right now when our children are small is is helping them to understand uh, that my parent sees my needs. And if we can, we will find a way to work together to meet both of our needs. And when you're raising a teenager that you have that kind of relationship, they're not going to hide things from you. You know, yes, everybody wants their own privacy and, and, and they're going to be some things that they don't tell you, but when there's big stuff that they don't know what to do about, they're going to come to you and bring that to you. And you're not creating this environment where they have to split off a part of themselves that, uh, that it, that doesn't feel lovable, that doesn't feel valued, um, that feels unaccepted because they know that their whole self is seen and accepted by you. And so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you talk about potential financial savings down the road and potential heartache savings as well, right? We all want to, to know that our children feel truly loved by us. Well, it's these kinds of tools that can actually help them to feel that um, and, and set us up for the kind of relationship that we want to have with our child for the rest of their lives, not just while they're small today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. You're so welcome. It was so much fun to talk with you, Olivia. Same. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.